What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode number 81, or as they might say in German, Ein und Achsich, uh, episode of Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries with my co-host, Mike. Uh, I hope to God I said that right, the German for 81. I think that's right. Ein und Achsich. How are you doing, Mike? Don't ask me. I, I don't know German, so I'm not the person to ask about that. I'm doing all right, doing fine. Um, could be better. There's some personal family issues going on right now. Some family drama. I'm not going to divulge to you all. Oh, that's good. Um, Just bring it up and say, oh, I can't talk about it, though, because that's not a douchebag thing that people do. Well... Look, I'm I not trying to be Dr. I'm not just, trying to be Dr. I, I Phil right now, I just don't think it's a good thing to to really go in depth Mike, on. Mike, you on need the to start you need to you need to take responsibility for your own unhappiness. How's that working for you? <laughs> um I'll just say this, it has to do with my stepdad again. So. Uh Okay. That's why I really don't want to talk about it. I'm not, I wasn't calling you a douchebag. I was just joking. But don't you hate it when you're like listening to a, a show or watching something and they say like, yeah, and then something really crazy happened. I'm not going to say what happened, but you know, j I, I, ha I hate it when people do that. I mean, like I can just ask you off the podcast. I'm sure you'll tell me, uh, but I hate that. Like I'll be listening to other podcasts sometimes and they'll be like, Oh yeah, and then this famous person showed up, and uh, he started like doing all this cocaine and and screwing these strippers. Uh, I can't tell you who it is, but I'll tell you after the pot, you know, when I off air or whatever. And I'm like, damn it, like that's what I want to know. I want to know those details. But anyway, sorry to hear you about your your shitty home life, Mike. Um, I hope that uh, you find a like go to the Big Brothers of America and get yourself a big brother. <laughs> Yeah, well, you know, it, it's it's it could be worse. So you guys can go. But, to but the other lake. than that, you know, things things are things are pretty good. Um, I am gonna go hang out with a friend tonight. We're gonna go see a movie at the mall and and stroll around the mall for a little bit, Mike, before the movie starts. Does this does this friend of yours does he do drugs? No. Is he make no. is he doing good in school? Yes, he's doing good in school. He's he's doing just as good as I am in school. All right. I just want to I've make... known him since Clark College. <laughs> okay, I'm just making sure that you have the right influences in your life because it would be really easy for you to get in with a bad group of movie critics. Uh, <laughs> and then before you, before you know it, you're reviewing, you know, Magic Mike XXL. Oh man. Doing all kinds of naughty stuff. Let's get naughty naughty. Sorry about that. Some 80s, <laughs> 80s bullshit just popped into Who my head. Who sang that song? I don't remember. It was, you know, one of those god awful hair metal bands. No, I don't think that. I think it was. Uh, I think it was like one of those. Uh, yeah, it was John Parr. <laughs> uh, really? The same guy who did Man Man Motion for the uh, yeah, There's Saint naughty Elmo's naughty song. Yeah, really? Wow, he's he, the versatility of that man. He can naughty, sing, naughty, loud and body, tease me. He can sing shitty 80s hair metal. He can sing shitty uh, soundtrack songs. He can do any 80s hey, shittiness. Uh, are, are you shitting on Restless Heart? I'm, I'm, <laughs> no, I'm just joking. I actually like a lot of those songs. That, for some reason, yeah. they have nostalgia value, even though I didn't grow up with that stuff. That or, song is awesome. 
and it's like the most viewed video on my channel. So you better <laughs> better straighten up and fly right there, fucko. That's that's what you were thinking. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I that's cool. AOR, boat or whatever that music is yep, called. AOR, yep. Yeah, so weird, man. Like that's weird that that's your favorite. But hey, you know what? Everybody's got their thing. I like I like some heavy metal too, and you might call Dokken and Scorpions hair metal, but they're not really. Well, that's debatable, Mike. But um, no. Well, the guy who did the score, the guy who uh, the lead singer of the Scorpions, cost mine. He doesn't have any hair. <laughs> you know, and they're like, oh, hair metal. It's like what hair? <laughs> well, uh, Scorp, yeah. like the guy who sang Quiet Riot, the guy who was the lead singer of Quiet Riot, like Kevin Dubrow. You're like what? I don't know. They, they their sound like borders on that anthemic '80s rock sound. That yeah, but I if don't you like. go and listen to a lot of uh, Scorpions music, like from earlier and then later, like they're very eclectic. They're very different. Now but I will say same thing for Dawkins. I do like the Scorpion song "Still Loving You." Like that's a good song. That's like got a creep. I like that song. It's got like a My hotel California song, though, vibe. Of course, that they did is "Rocky Like a Hurricane." Oh, that's such a typical go-to pick, Mike. But I also really like Alienation. That's like another one they did that. See, that's one I like quite that's a one bit. I haven't heard of. See, see, you got to go for a hit between the eyes. Anyways, guys, if you haven't if you haven't been able to tell, this is a podcast about the show yeah, and solve mysteries. This is not a music podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, clearly we've made it we've made it obvious in every way that this is about unsolved mysteries. Because I mean, the past <laughs> like ten minutes, all we've been doing is talking about unsolved mysteries and Robert Stack. Uh, <laughs> But, uh, hey, that's why you've come to love us, right? Except for you, those of you who don't, who make it abundantly clear by our reviews. Because um, <laughs> we're anti-Christian. Well, we're not going to get into that. Um, <laughs> we got to save that that little gem for uh, our ba another bad review segment, which you guys seem to love so much. Um, I also love how we did that segment purely because it entertains you guys, and I know it does, you sickos. But uh, we got some comment on our SoundCloud, and the guy was like, these guys so obviously can't take criticism, but they act like they can, blah, 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 blah. And it's like, well, don't listen to us then, Junior. I mean, that's all there is to it. <laughs> anyway, this is about uh, the show uh, Unsolved Mysteries, but it's also about uh, mysteries in general. Sometimes we talk about other mysteries. Usually we don't, mm -hmm. though. Usually we just stick to... The uh, Unsolved Mysteries. You can uh, like us on Facebook by going to facebook.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. You can also like us on Patreon, patreon.com slash uncovering unexplained mysteries. Um, kick in some shekels, as Mark Marin would say, and uh, we, we will give you some benefits. Uh, you can also join our Facebook group, which I highly recommend over any uh, of the liking of the fan page because it's a lot more interactive. And that is, you guessed it. And you it. get some special bonuses too yes that we that, uh, that we have nothing to do with page. and we <laughs> we neither endorse nor we are not affiliated with in any way whatsoever we do not endorse nor denounce um we are a neutral third party on that but yeah the uh, group is just go to <laughs> facebook groups however the fuck you find it uh uncovering unexplained mysteries and ask to join you'll be you'll be presented with two questions do you listen to the podcast and are you a real human being? And you would be surprised the amount of people who say uh, they ask to join and it goes, are you joining this group because you listen to 
the Uncovering Unexplained Mysteries podcast, and the person just goes, no. <laughs> and it's like, well, then why are you joining? <laughs> I, I, I guess they, they're thinking we're... They're group hoarders. I get, they want to they hoard groups. They want to be in groups. I hope that's not a real term. <laughs> if it is, I, I give up. <laughs> I've already given up on contemporary society as it is, so like I can only I can only imagine how how bad I'm going to be as an old man. Like I won't be able to tolerate. You're gonna be like that grumpy guy that you have in your videos. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> So anyway, these uh, picks for this week were both uh, Michelle. Uh, he picked both of these, so uh, we'll oh, wee wee. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> Talking about wee wees, we got a we got some <laughs> we got some cocks on the way later on. Yes. So uh, the first one I picked is the case of Paul Stamper. Now this guy looks like he's Paul Simon from the seventies, but he definitely. Is not any friend of yours. Like this guy is a total piece of shit. This does not look Scumbag. like bag. This does not look like Paul Simon in any way, shape, or form. It looks like. Have you seen Paul Simon I, in the seventies with the mustache? Uh, not with the mustache. Now I'm gonna look. That's him what up. I'm saying. Paul Simon with the mustache. Paul he Simon does, with he mustache. Does, he do, yeah, he does look similar to Paul Simon when he had the mustache. Oh shit! Yeah, you're kind of right. <laughs> Wow. Okay. Why? Why do you know about everything old, Mike? Why? Why? You were. I'm a fan of Saturday Night Live, and Paul Simon was on SNL like the early seasons. Oh, okay. I was gonna that's say why, that's the only reason why I know that. Well, we're both old souls. I, yes. I'd say, so. Yes. So uh, this guy is wanted for abuse, harassment, abduction, attempted murder, terrorism, and escape. Just Jesus. a whole smorgasbord of crimes. And he's got a few parking violations as well. <laughs> yeah, so Paul Stamper moved to Kingfisher, Oklahoma to start an oil equipment operation. He hired a 20-year-old named Teresa Walt Walden as his secretary. She was smitten by him. After working for, working for him for a few weeks, the two began dating. On her birthday, he bought her a new Corvette. Soon, he asked her to marry him, and she agreed. And she's interviewed in the segment, and I have to go off the top of my head because there's no unsolved.com synopsis, so bear with me. So she was saying things like, oh, I liked it because I liked that lifestyle. It was fun. He was fun. Oh, I, I yeah, I remember this one now. Uh, yeah, because the, the, the car kind of became a, uh, he took it away from her, didn't he, at some point? No, not really. Oh, okay. I don't remember that. They didn't really... Mention that in this, folks. I am but, well researched for this case. I just want to let everyone know just just the deep research that I've done and the quality you've come to expect is still intact. So, Teresa believed that she was marrying a kind businessman. In reality, Paul was a convicted felon who had spent time in prison for theft, assault, and fraud. More recently, that his business practices came under investigation in Oklahoma. There were some reports that Paul had purposefully damaged people's oil equipment so they would call him and have him fix the equipment. So yeah, that's that was his sort of uh, shtick there. That was his whole scheme. Oh, he just purposely damaged some equipment and then he'd go in to fix it and make some money. Oh, that's a right fine oil rig you got there. It'd be a shame if it all of a sudden stopped working. Yep. 
Now, the guy who uh, plays Paul in the reenactment, I, I thought was really well cast. Like, this guy has that type of face that you just want to punch. And he also has that attitude that just irritates the hell out of you, which I'm pretty sure that's probably what the real stamper was like. I wanted to stamp him out. This guy, like right then, yeah, and there. He, he 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 did he did need to be stamped out. Um, this guy looks like he would be good friends with Jim Burnside. Yes, uh, from a previous podcast. Yes, covered. They would be buddies, drinking buddies. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so within uh, six months, the marriage became a living hell for Teresa. When she would go get groceries, he would accuse her of cheating on him because he would go on. You know, she'd be like, uh, "I was out getting some groceries for two hours." Yeah, that's like I feel like that's like symptom number one of um, controlling psychos is is them constantly accusing their partner of uh, cheating on them. Mm-hmm. And you know what's funny? At no point when you accuse somebody else of constantly cheating on you, does it make you want to cheat on them less? I hate to break that to any controlling psychopaths out there, but that doesn't make your man or woman want to stay with you any harder. By constantly accusing them of shit that they're not even doing. My ex used to do that to me, um, my first... You would, I would actually think that would influence them to start cheating yes, on you. Yes, exactly. Yes, it does. <laughs> because, like, my ex constantly was accusing me of, of, you know, this, that, and the other, and she was always wanting to see my phone and all this other shit, and finally I just had to break up with her. I was like, dude, I can't... You're, you're so controlling, and you're so paranoid. Like, I can't... Yeah, anyway. So whenever she would go out, he would follow her, or he would have people follow her. That's that's pretty messed up. He would have people follow her. Like that's 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 really that's going outside the line. That's some there. Scientology level craziness right there. <laughs> <laughs> Squirrel busters. <laughs> so sometimes he would refuse to let her leave the house without him. Many times he would beat her and abuse her just for looking at someone. And they oh showed, God. like, photos of her, and, like, she had, like, two black eyes. It, it was it was rough. Yeah, she would be like, oh, I'd just be looking out. I would be, we'd be driving around on the road, and I'd just look and see a guy in the passenger side in the car next door, and he'd just grab his fist and just punch me in the face. God damn, dude. What the fuck yeah. is wrong? Like, like, what, like, what is the conversation after that, like, at, right after that happens like it, does he just like do that and then like they're driving he's like yeah so uh heard the uh you know georgia bulldogs are playing good this year like i, I mean like what do you say after that like are, are you just in a pissed off rage for the rest of the car ride like i don't know it's, it's just so you would think after something like that there'd be some big escalation and then somebody would end up leaving but like i just how do you go back to normal car ride after that yeah, I have no idea. Yeah, I just punched you in the face. You know, you want so you want to get Denny's or do you want to get uh, IHOP? You know, like what the fuck? You know, that's that's yeah. It's one of those questions that is definitely a mystery. I have no idea. Um, but I, the, it's not a mystery that this guy is an asshole, though. So eventually, Paul was arrested and charged with assault and battery. However, the charges were inexplicably dropped. This occurred at least five times, which is crazy. He also bragged to Teresa that he was paying off the authorities. 
So she wasn't dropping the charges. They were just no. dropped somehow. Mm -hmm. That's crazy. On the evening of January 5th, 1985, a man wielding a knife broke into the Stamper home. Teresa was out of town, but a female friend was staying over. The man brutally stabbed the friend while she laid on the couch. In the reenactment, it didn't really show it that brutal. He just showed up. He had like a little scalpel. Then he just saw the girl on the couch and just doink awkwardly went in and I guess slit her throat or tried to. But it, like it didn't it didn't it really did not come across as brutal at all. I'm sorry her getting her throat slashed wasn't more brutal, Mike. I'll try no, to No, no, I'm I'm <laughs> trying to make it. It's a just note. the way it Dude, Mike is out for blood. Was... Mike is he's got no, he's got I, a bloodlust the... now. He seems calm and you know, calm demeanor. No. But really <laughs> underneath there's a mad, ravaging, bloodthirsty just animal. No. No, no. Oh. I, it, it, it's just it's it's just if you've seen the segment, you know what I mean. Like it, just, it wasn't, it was it was pretty uh, weak in terms of that, um, but understandably so because it's a network television show. You're not gonna like, but they did have some bloody uh, segments. Unsolved no. mysteries is inconsistent with their violence. <laughs> we can we, yeah. we can say that much. Yeah, for sure. So. Fortunately, though, this friend survived and called the police. She identified her assailant as Gary Trout, a local mechanic who worked for Paul. Trout told investigators that he was contacted by Paul and was asked to kill Teresa. He agreed to pay him $10,000 for the crime. Paul was arrested and charged with the accessory to attempted murder. However, at Trout's trial, he refused to testify against Paul. Once again, the charges against him were dropped. As a result of the most recent attack, Teresa left Paul and moved in with her parents. However, she still did not feel safe. He repeatedly threatened her, and on the night of September 13, 1984, he carried out one of his threats by shooting at her parents' home. And the, the way they uh, showed this in the reenactment was, I thought was quite good, because it shows the, the Teresa, the actress is playing Teresa, is in bed, and then she hears a window break and then she gets up and looks outside and there he is with his red baseball cap and the truck revving the engine and Teresa was interviewed and she was saying yeah he he was there he was revving his engine he stayed there long enough for me to recognize him and then he drove off to let me know that he knew he knew where I was that those situations scare the shit out of me if like it was to ever happen to me because I, I guess I've watched a lot of TV in my life, like, you know, violent TV. Yeah. And I just automatically assume if I encounter a stranger, you know, and they're in a car and I can't really see them or what's going on, I just automatically assume they have a gun. I just constantly assume they have a gun and they're just going to shoot me and I'm going to die. Um, that's why I don't... Probably because of that road rage segment. Well, no, it's just all the things I've seen on TV over the years. It just yeah. it just seems like, especially in America, that everyone has a fucking gun. And they are just, you know, very squeamish or skittish. Well, it's probably pretty prevalent in your, your, uh, your area. Oh, hell yeah. Hell yeah, it is, Mike. <laughs> Woo-hoo! Uh, yeah. It, it, I mean... I, I don't know if I, I might have already mentioned this on the podcast, but yeah, there was one time uh, this crazy chick that was in my life at one point came, showed up to my door at like 11 a.m. with her drug boy, drug dealing boyfriend, and she's like, he's here to kick your ass. 
<laughs> I don't remember that one. Yeah. I don't and, remember and, that story. and they were both clearly high on God knows what. And that just sounds hilarious. Like, he's here to kick your ass, Josh. No, it, it, the funny thing is, it wasn't even like this big redneck like way of saying it. She's like, it was just kind of like, uh, you know, reminding me I have a dentist appointment or something. Like, that was the tone of voice <laughs> she had. She's like, yeah, he's here to kick your ass. And, and, and this guy was like, not only was he like probably 60 pounds lighter than me. Uh-huh. He was like five five or five four. Like I would have, I would have annihilated this unless he knew some kind of Brazilian jiu-jitsu or some kind of ancient <laughs> ass kicking art that I was unaware of. I would have destroyed. I probably would have accidentally killed him just by like snapping his bony body from handling him or whatever. But it'd be like if somebody you know sent me to kick somebody's ass. That's not gonna happen. Like I just get my ass kicked like that. Yeah, and, and, and like he was just a hair taller than her, and she's like five foot. And I'm like sitting there looking at, at these guys, and I'm like, I was like, you need to get out of here. And she's like, why you been talking shit about me? And you know, I, I had, of course, I hadn't been talking shit about her. She was just in a drug haze, yeah. and she just decided that I was going to be in her crosshairs. And so uh -huh. finally, my roommate was trying to sleep. And he got up and he like, he had actually been doing P90X and all this shit. He was actually, oh, shit. he was pretty buff. So he like got, and he was mad because they woke him up. And I guess he had heard the exchange. He like literally walked to the door and he goes, hey, what, what's, what's the problem? And they're like, oh, no, nothing. You know, he's like, wait, you guys need to get the fuck out of here. And like, oh, yes, sir. The dude actually called my roommate, <laughs> sir. That's how much of a bitch he was. He said, yes, sir. As they yes, left. Yes, sir. Yes. Okay. Like. <laughs> And then, and then it made me feel like a bitch that my roommate did that because I felt like I was handling the situation and, and like, shit, you know, all of a sudden big strong man comes to the door. I mean, I felt like I might as well have been wearing a dress and some pigtails at that point. <laughs> like, uh-huh, see what you did? You made my man mad. You know, like I felt kind of like a bitch too. <laughs> I almost felt like saying like, motherfucker, I was handling it. Okay. I was handling it. But like I got this. I got this. But I wasn't about to fight that kid. I don't know. He dude, they 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 even had like a getaway driver. They had a dude who was standing at the ready by the, wow. by the car with one foot in and one foot out like standing in the in the car like he was ready to jump in, I guess if need be. And it's like, "Oh yeah, I'm going to fight this guy and have his homeboy pull a fucking knife on me or a gun." <laughs> I wasn't going to risk yeah. any of that. I was like, "Dude, yeah. get out of here. I'll call the cops." My roommate on the other hand didn't uh didn't so much uh think of any of that. So anyway, that's my little story <laughs> about uh that, which I don't that's, remember. That's that's your segue. <laughs> I don't well, I don't remember how it how it relates to this segment at all, but uh I'm full of stories so, today. Uh, Teresa contacted the police, but then nothing was done, which is ridiculous. Yes. On, on November 23rd, 1985, Teresa left a party with her new boyfriend, Chris Butler. Unbeknownst to them, Paul was watching them with a high-powered telescope in his car. <laughs> Fuck. A few minutes later, as they were driving down the highway, they were pulled over by what they thought was a highway patrolman. But when the man reached their vehicle... They realized that it was Paul. He then shot Chris and abducted Teresa. 
Yeah, the way that this was shot was well done too, because the actors did a solid job too, as well in terms of their performances. Like this was just a very harrowing situation. It was like, oh, they're just driving home, and oh, it's a patrol guy. And even Teresa was interviewed. She's like, yeah, we just thought it was like a highway patrolman, so we pulled over, and then holy shit, it's my crazy fucking husband, and of course Chris is like, what are you doing? And then trying to defend. Yeah, uh, Teresa trying to help her, and Paul he gets shot by Paul for all his trouble, and he was like shot so badly that he ended up in critical condition with like uh, wounds to like his heart and his spleen and like some other stuff. But he ended up surviving though, which is which is which is really good. That's good news. But still, I mean, that's gotta suck. And I, I wonder, did they get back together? Like, did Teresa, after this whole situation with Paul was resolved, did she get back together with Chris? Or was he just like, ah, nah, we're done. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I'm good. I'm good on, uh, I'm good on, on being, uh, potentially shot at by your, uh, psychotic, uh, ex. God, the amount of times psychotic exes i have other stories about that shit but i won't get, i won't waste uh i won't waste well i mean they're good stories but it's very off topic so i'll yeah i'll save it for another time but yeah I, so chris was seriously wounded but he survived meanwhile paul drove north while holding Teresa at gunpoint two days later they stopped at a restaurant in topeka kansas and the way <laughs> this cracked me up uh with how the actor portrayed uh paul here and it was probably just the line he was given. Like there was like the the waitress was like asking about what he wanted, and and she, she was being the type, you know, being a little bit forward and like, is there anything else, you know? And he's like, it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> and then of course the waitress was like, whoa, okay, all right. And uh, yeah, surprisingly, he let teresa used the restroom while he was there and she just used that time to go to the manager's office have the manager call the police uh but paul disappeared before the police could arrive and five hours later uh he was eventually arrested while boarding a bus in salinas kansas he was returned to kingfisher and was held at the county jail to await trial but at 3 30 a.m on april 28 1986 a man broke into the jail and held a gun to the prison guard. He forced her to open Paul's jail cell. Paul then escaped with the man who had been paid $10,000 to help him escape. So it just seems like this guy is just able to just slip through. No, the problem is, is, is these stupid little small towns like Kingfisher, yeah. Oklahoma, where you can, you can do whatever the fuck you want. That's the problem. I mean, we yeah. see it all the time on this show. Um, this show should be called Small Towns Are Are a Toxic Trap Mysteries. Uh, <laughs> doesn't have quite the ring. I, 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 small Town Mysteries. <laughs> small Towns are are shitty and no one should live in them. I mean, honestly, with like you have the Bordello Murders segment where the, the prostitutes were killed and they never really. Well, actually, they did. They did find out that it was the, the yeah. police were involved, but. I mean, for the longest time, like they just, you know, they ran that mm. that you know that little town, and that's yep. what happens all across, you know, all across these uh, 
These not all small states. towns are shitty. I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna say that all the small towns. I can't think across of, the U.S. are shitty. I'm trying to think of a small town that's not shitty. <clears throat> um, even small towns here, like like Middleburg and uh, McClinney and uh, Callahan, all the small towns around me, they all As suck. As you can see, I'm just trying to dissociate myself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I see that, Mike. From, from my co I, I see that, but we're going down together, buddy. <laughs> my words are your words. <laughs> I love you. I, I swear to God, I know what kind of person you'd be if we were ever on a sinking ship. L the last thing I would see is Mike's, <laughs> the bottom of Mike's shoes as he dives off the side of the fucking boat with the life raft <laughs> as I'm left on the ship. That would be the last thing I see. <laughs> you know, sweeping broad generalizations are always a good thing. I mean, how can they ever go wrong? Uh, all small towns are shitty. <laughs> Born and raised uh, in a small town. Had my first sexual experimentation in a small town. Tried heroin in a small town. What, do, I, I wonder if that version will ever make it on the radio. <laughs> Probably not. That's, that's the version you'll get if you buy the deluxe CD. Had my first gay encounter in a small town. So, <laughs> going back to this segment... <laughs> Oh, we've been all over the place with this uh, epi this episode so far. Hope you guys are and gals are still enjoying it. Though. I hope so too, but I doubt they are. Oh, the diehard fans probably are. But anyway, um, <laughs> I wanted to mention the reenactment again because there's just a little. It's just the little things in these reenactments I, I think are worth mentioning, and they they make it worthwhile. And make him stand out in a good way, and, and it's it's this it adds a certain charm to the show, and it, I crack up thinking about this because the reaction this prison guard had to being thrown into the prison cell with the other prisoners, I thought was hilarious because it what didn't really fit what was happening. So this lady gets gets accosted uh, at gunpoint. And then she gets tossed into the prison cell, and she's just like, "Whoa!" <laughs> <laughs> it wasn't. It, it was. It wasn't fear. It wasn't like a you know a a a, a shrill scream of just terror. It was just like, "Ah!" <laughs> <laughs> like a very cartoony. Yeah. So he escaped. And Teresa, uh, according to the Wikia, will remain in constant fear until Paul Stamper is caught. Of course. This guy tried to kill her. Multiple times. But he was captured. On the night of the broadcast, Stamper was arrested in, arrested in Commerce, Colorado. I, I had a little bit of a brain fart there because I, I'm Commerce, Colorado. That's interesting. There's an, It just kind of threw me for a loop that there's a town called Commerce. So Commerce, Colorado, near Denver, due to the viewer's tips, he had been using the assumed name Gary Weichel and was living in Denver for four years. He pleaded guilty to kidnapping, attempted murder, and prison escape, and was sentenced to 35 years in prison, later getting released on parole in 2002 after only serving 10 years. Of course. Because there's no justice in this world if Unsolved Mysteries has taught me anything. Ten years? New York City? <laughs> <laughs> he, 
And apparently this case was also featured in the television film Escape from Terror, the Teresa Stamper story. Which I'm sure which is, aired on Lifetime. Well, it was one of those, uh, actually it was on NBC because it was one of those uh, from the files of Unsolved oh, Mysteries. Oh, right. We're supposed TV to cover movies. those at some point. Because Unsolved Mysteries, uh, for you, got, th those of you who don't know, they had uh, movies that were based on the, some of the segments. Mm -hmm. Made for TV movies, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, made for TV movies. Now, Mike, what, what's what's the difference between a made-for-TV movie and a and a regular movie? Is there a quality difference? Is yes, definitely a quality difference. Uh, budget. Made-for-TV movies are, are a lot cheaper, for sure, in terms of their uh, budget. And um, they also can't get away with this, you know, because it's a TV movie, so it's for network television, so... There's a lot of censorship. There's no swearing or, or a lot of drug use or blood or, or gore or stuff like that. Is there a quality like like are the are they I mean, I typically they're not as good as features. Well, sometimes there's some fun ones. Um, so, the, you know, there's some decent TV movies out there, but yeah, TV movies tend to. And also, a lot of the people who are directing them aren't really big-time film directors. Now, some of them are. So, that so when you have a John Carpenter TV movie, like, I think it's called Someone's Watching Me, That then it's like, the quality is a lot better, because you have a... Or something like Duel. Duel was a TV movie. The Steven Spielberg film. So... When you have quality directors and talented directors directing it, well, then you got. Wasn't it a TV movie technically? Yeah, TV TV miniseries. Yeah, I still can't get over that. I swear, I I could have sworn I I saw like the like I downloaded it as a whole movie. They must have. Well, yeah, yeah. It was it was a whole movie on Blu-ray. So it, it's just uh, on TV. It was split into two parts when it aired. Hmm, that's crazy. That I. I why why didn't that get a theatrical release? If they decided to do it as a miniseries instead. I, I, I would I, I actually think that was the better idea because they could do more with the story. Like an it film in nineteen ninety would have been pretty short. They would have to split it up into parts like what they're doing with the new it. Which regardless, I know a lot of people love it, teach their own. I think it's shit. <laughs> You want to put a little SH before the title. Yes. Yes. And speaking of shit, Paul Stamper is a piece of shit. So yeah, let's talk about some cocks. That sounds good. I've been, I kind of have been anticipating cocks this whole time. Yes. Yes. <laughs> we have to get these jokes out of the way because we are both three years old. But Stephen Cox is his name and fucking people is his game, but not in the way that you would want to be fucked by Cox. Um, it's a financial fuckery because this is a fraud case. Um, in 19... And according to Thomas Hatfield, he's a really hard guy to deal with. <laughs> yes, our moderator Thomas Hatfield, right on time with the Cox jokes. <laughs> a lot of jokes about Cox. Stephen Cox, that is. So, any hoozles, in 1981, Lorraine Rondow was 68 years old and newly widowed. 
Her husband had left her $100,000 and it was all that she owned. Lorraine invested her money with a man named Stephen Durrell Cox. Durrell. It's not Daryl. It's it's like Pearl, but with a D. Daryl. 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 Daryl Cox. Daryl Cox. In 1977, a drunk driver left Michelle Witt, Michelle Witt crippled for life. Damn, that sucks, man. The insurance yes. the insurance company gave her seventy five thousand dollars. Michelle also invested this money with Cox. Don't invest money with Cox. Don't invest in Cox. On September 24th, 1984, Stephen Cox disappeared and has not been seen since. Jeez, what's that, like 50 years ago at this point? More than 200 investors... This is from season one. More than 200 investors have come forward claiming that they had given Cox up to $3.5 million, which he had apparently stolen from them. Many could not believe that Cox was capable of committing such a crime. He's a cock. He was a popular and well uh, he was popular and well liked through high school and college. It was hard not to like Cox. Uh, he married his college sweetheart Deborah and they settled in Medford. In 1982, he started his own company, SD Cox Investments. <laughs> really? Really? Suck these Cox. God, <laughs> just setting us up left and right. SD Cox? Really? Like I understand, I understand like S and my D and all that. I understand that that's kind of like <laughs> new, like new humor that the kids are saying. But like even back then, people would have had to been like S D Cox. That sounds perverted. <laughs> Authorities believe that at first Cox's business was legitimate and that he was actually helping people make money. He even offered investors a rate of return of twenty five percent. That's how you know it's bullshit, by the way. However, all he would give them was an IOU with a form of a uh, in the form of a promissory note. Michelle <laughs> IOU. Like a little fucking piece of paper IOU. $200,000. That wasn't sketchy at all. Uh Michelle Witt needed $1200 a month for her nursing and medical bills. She felt that Cox's high rate of return was worth the risk. For 3 years Michelle received 12. Point- Let me try this number again. She she received $1,250 monthly payment from Cox. She believed that he knew what he was doing. Cox's business soon doubled and then tripled. His close friend, Eugene Richmond, was brought in as a partner in the business. Now, now this guy, he's interviewed and he's trying to come across as if he was innocent or he was just a part of it. Like he was brought in to work for Cox, but you know, and he did some. He was somewhat involved in the embezzlement because he actually did uh, go to court and pled guilty and served like two years in prison. But this guy, the way the way he carries himself, it's it just it annoys me. Like I just want to smack this guy. He's all like, oh, you know, he, he, he's he's saying things like, oh, I told the people that it was a risk. And all of this other stuff, and he's just he, he's he's spending so much of his time covering his own ass, and it, and it just totally is not believable to me. Like I totally don't buy that he was not in on this from like the beginning. He was co- he don't. was also covering Cox. Yes, he, he was covering Cox. He was really sticking up for Cox. Yes, you know, he he, you know, uh, penis joke. Anyway, he really loved him some cocks. <laughs> there you go. Uh, he and he looks like uh, 
He looks like a fucking Al from a Home Improvement. <laughs> Richmond's job was to talk with clients and get potential clients to invest in the company. Richmond convinced Lorraine Rondow to invest her money. Richmond claimed that when customers asked what would happen if the company went bankrupt, he told them that they would lose their money. Lorraine, however, said that Richmond was lying because he had never told her that. He told her that they had money set aside for investors if they needed their money back. Which, I mean... I totally buy what she said. Yeah, I mean, you know, these people are investing hundreds of thousands of dollars. These people do not have a backup of, uh, you know, a backup bank vault of all that money just waiting. No. You know, that's bullshit, of course. Also, I mean, the, the, with cases like this, I mean, I don't want to go out there and say, you know, these people are dumb, but I just want to say they definitely are foolish. I mean, what, what are you... Why, why would you even think about investing this much money in some company that you don't know with people you don't know and i mean it's just one of those things that it just it just baffles me that they were so willing to invest in this company even though the signs were there that this was not really a legitimate operation yeah i mean it makes you wonder if it was a more naive time but maybe you know then you got like nowadays you have stuff like uh online bitcoin information and stuff like that online you can go and do a google search and then you could see if the company is reputable or not so maybe it was easier to be uh more naive like you said and, and make and make big mistakes like this for their money by 1983 sd cox investments was flourishing the cox was flourishing god darn it <laughs> they bought a restaurant a bar and they splurged <laughs> oh god <laughs> so Cox Investments splurged. They bought a restaurant, a bar, an arcade, two jewelry stores, and several other expensive items. However, by, however, by 1984, many of Cox Investments began to go sour. According to Richmond, some real estate investments were not going well. They were losing money. Authorities believe that Cox's investment company turned into a Ponzi scheme. In so Cox was going limp. Oh, God. <laughs> In desperation, Richmond went to Lorraine and asked if he could invest her last $5,000. She agreed. How I don't know why she did that. Yeah. These guys, man, to be one of these kind of people, you got to you have to be able to sell ice to an Eskimo. I mean, you got to be Yeah. You got to be And I buy that Eugene Richmond would be that kind of guy, but I mean, still it's just like what kind of person are you to take advantage of people like this? A piece of shit. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, lower than dirt. Um, sleaze. Richmond claims that he never took her 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 last five thousand though. He, of course, he disputes that. This guy's a total brown nosing bastard. In September 1984, Cox told Richmond that he and his family were leaving. Richmond agreed to leave with him because he did not want to face the investors. What a fucking pussy. On night on yeah. September twenty first, nineteen eighty four, Richmond told his employees that he and Cox would be out of town on business until Monday. That weekend, Cox cleaned out the office safe, taking $200,000 in gold, silver, jewelry, and cash. He also took their financial records stored on computer disks. Which were floppy disks. Because back then, you know, they didn't really have CDs. So, yes, Cox took his... Or a hard Cox drive. Took his, he took his floppies. <laughs> Cox took his floppies and, and, and ran. Yep. The Cox and Richmond Pact uh, 
the cocks. Really? I think somebody's trolling. I think somebody's trolling this wiki page and like making these fucked up edits. The cocks. I think it's the coxes, perhaps. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the coxes and Richmond packed up their belongings and fled to the Medford area. They planned to go all the way to Hawaii. In July 1985, 10 months after Cox, his wife Deborah and Richmond vanished. Deborah returned to Medford. Through her attorney, she agreed to cooperate with the authorities. Deborah was never charged in the case. A week later, Richmond also agreed to turn himself in. Richmond did not make any statements that would incriminate himself or Cox. Of course. Richmond did tell police that in 1983, Cox had become involved with a mysterious investor. The investor had put nearly $100,000 in the company. He also took out a life insurance policy on Cox as security for his investment. According to Richmond, Cox feared for his life because of this investor. However, authorities think that this is unlikely that the investor would actually hurt Cox. Eugene Richmond pleaded guilty to the charges of racketeering and served two years in prison. However, Stephen Cox remains at large. <laughs> he faces charges of fraud and racketeering. So Co Cox is at large. There's, there's a large Cox out there. <laughs> And nobody knows where it's at, what hole it could be hiding in, you know. So that, this cox is slippery. So, so be careful. Uh, uh, to quote Thomas Hatfield again, once they get their grip on this guy, they need to use both hands. That's right. They, they do. Uh, Thomas Hatfield should become the official joke writer for the uh, podcast. <laughs> we need some jokes. Um Cox may have been linked to another con artist that was profiled on Unsolved Mysteries named Dennis Walker. Walker was a, a sports collector from Medford who was found murdered in Las Vegas, Nevada. How, uh, however, nothing was actually established to the, link the cases. What's up with people and memorabilia in Las Vegas? Because that's where OJ got busted uh, when him and his, his cronies went into that hotel room in Vegas to try to get his, his memorabilia back from the cellar or whatever. Uh -huh. Like, it was like the same kind of situation and it was like the same place. It's Sin City. Oh, yeah, I guess I guess that's that must be it. So um, <clears throat> the results of this case are uh, Stephen Cox has been captured. The, they captured the they Cox. They captured the Cox. You, you can't cage the Cox, but they're they're going <laughs> to do their best. <clears throat> on, the, on the night of the broadcast... Viewers told authorities that Cox was living in Boise, Idaho under the alias Robert Bradley Davis. Yeah, I'm sure he was pretty eager to, to pick a different name. Uh, however, the, by the next day when authorities arrived, Cox had vanished, leaving uh, a new wife behind. Five days later, Cox checked into the Lake Mead Lodge Hotel, registering under the name John Strauss and listing an Arizona address. Hotel manager Edna Reed became suspicious of him because he never left his room and had put incorrect car and license plate information on his hotel registration forms. Two weeks later, Edna notified Strauss to, uh, or had noticed him taking his garbage and putting it into a bin several rooms away from his. She de decided to look through the trash and found a note saying that, quote, <laughs> the Unsolved Mysteries broadcast was a bombshell, end quote. I love that, but I, I also love how they, they entered, uh, I think it was Stack was narrating and he was saying something like, like most women or most females, she was curious. Oh, it's like, God. <laughs> like no, Bob. <laughs> he was he was he was uh, channeling his uh, untouchables days with that kind of talk. Uh, 
Yeah, you know, like most broads. Broads are curious. They're always digging through men's stuff. Ah, go make me a sandwich, sweetheart. You know, <laughs> it's channeling that, that classic 1920s misogyny that uh, was so accepted back then. But we frown upon now. Um, so, yeah, she was going through uh, the, the, the trash and... Um, the Unsolved Mysteries episode was a bombshell. Edna and her husband contacted the police. They determined that, quote, Strauss's car did not uh, belong to him. Uh, when authorities arrived at the hotel, however, he had vanished. The next day, Strauss was pulled over. Strauss being Cox was pulled over in a casino parking lot after an officer spotted him. He gave the officers at, uh, a driver's license with the name Robert Davis. A computer check determined that uh, that was an alias for Stephen Cox. Cox was immediately placed under arrest. In Cox's car, they found suitcases filled with jewelry, rings, necklaces, baseball cards, coins, and other expensive items. It is believed that these are the items that Cox stole from his investors. He was found guilty of all charges and sentenced to 20 years in prison. He was released on parole after serving only three years. But uh, he was then arrested again in 2005 in Garden City, Idaho, on charges of grand theft, forgery, computer crime, and a parole violation. Stephen Cox was again released from prison in December 2013. This man and crime go together like peanut butter and jelly. Yep. Or like um, Cox and I don't know. I got no jokes left. <laughs> got no. I, I'm all coxed out. On the Cox. Um, all right, so for our next segment, um, you know, every now and then, there comes a time. We got a news of the bazaar. Sure. News of the bazaar, yes. Now, for those of you who don't remember, news of the bazaar is us talking about bizarre news. So that's pretty much the... Uh, now, this one is uh, about a year old, um, but when I came across it, I'm like, we totally have to talk about this, because this is, this, is, this is some really... Uh, crazy shit. So this one is about an Arizona man who sells the $6.5 million ranch because of constant violent alien attacks. <laughs> New Mexico may get all of the extraterrestrial glory, but alien sightings in Arizona really take the cake. You may have heard of the Phoenix Lights, a 1997 UFO phenomenon witnessed by people from Phoenix to Sonora, Mexico. But the most culturally important extraterrestrial run-ins in the state have likely occurred at the Stardust Ranch. This idyllic horse ranch has been the site of alien attacks. Blah. This idyllic horse ranch has been the site of alien attacks, abduction attempts, and even interdimensional travel. And now the property is up for sale. Thanks to John and Joyce Edmonds's alien encounters, the ranch is selling for a reasonable rate. If you've got a few million to spare, you could own an important piece of UFO history. It's something that could be pulled straight from the plot of a TV show about aliens. Alien. When a man sells a $5 million ranch after a slew of alien attacks, you know that his alien encounters have taken a toll. John Edmonds seemed capable of handling the occasional unidentified craft zipping by overhead, but when the aliens tried to kidnap his wife from her bed, Edmonds had had enough. But is he telling the truth? Edmonds claims he fought off aliens with a samurai sword. <laughs> I mean... You gotta be trolling at this point, but okay, okay. Oh, let's man. let's hear what he has to say. Uh, the aliens aren't always friendly. John Edmonds says that he's killed eighteen greys with a samurai sword during his time at the ranch. 
He even I'm just imagining this in my head and it's glorious. He even shared a photo of bloodstains supposedly from these violent attacks. And yeah, there's a samurai sword and some dried blood or what appears to be blood. But dude, that could be fucking anything. Literally, um, that blood, you know, as far as the blood goes, there's no body or anything. And if you've seen this guy, like this, you can't imagine this guy doing that much with a samurai sword, especially like killing 18 greys with a samurai sword. I mean, this is a guy you're like, dude, you get out of breath walking, you know, a block from your house. He's got, he's got a, a block. he's got a body like David Crosby from Crosby, Stills and Nash. And his <laughs> face looks like literally a human thumb with a little mustache <laughs> on it. Yeah. Like, look at your thumb right now. You've seen what this guy looks like. Yeah, I don't buy this guy killing 18 greys. He get out of breath after swinging the sword once. I'd, I'd love just seeing him with, like, in silhouette with the sun setting behind him in, in that samurai stance, you know, <laughs> with his big gut hanging <laughs> over his belt as he starts swinging away at these aliens. Who yeah, not in my ranch, you don't. Nope. But uh, maybe it actually happened. The, art- <laughs> That'd be the article goes to, to on. That. The article goes on to say, but where are the bodies? And then he's quoted as saying, if you don't take the heads, they disappear. He clarified, unless you cut the head off and disconnect the antennae, so to speak, they instantly, quote unquote, phone home. Even with a razor sharp sword, it is nearly impossible to deta- decapitate them with one swing. <laughs> Alrighty. So the previous owner supposedly disappeared. Stardust Ranch is located in Buckeye, Arizona, about an hour and a half away from Phoenix, the notorious site of the Phoenix Lights. Maybe that's why there's so much reported alien activity at the ranch. According to owner John Edmonds, the property has been a hotbed of extraterrestrial activity since he and his wife first moved in 20 years ago. Creepier still, the previous owners didn't seem to move out. They had just disappeared. And all their stuff was still in the house, Edmonds said. Edmonds says aliens tried to abduct his wife. John Edmonds claims that aliens tried to abduct his wife right in front of him. He described the terrifying scene, quote, There was a cone of light. It came down and she started to rise into the cone of light. I grabbed an AK-47 with a double banana clip in it and I went outside and I opened (laughs) up. My God. I'm just imagining him just doing the, saying that in a typical redneck accent. Well, I didn't give him the redneck accent only because he, this is in, like, what, Arizona or something? Yeah, there's some rednecks in Arizona yeah, for sure. Yeah, I just don't know if they got the accent or not. Yeah. So the aliens appeared inside the house. The aliens seemed to like John Edmonds's home. He claims he's seen and heard them in his sunroom, though their presence causes some damage to the house. The speed generated by their movement, three critters at once made the glass in the double-pane windows actually buzz and misalign in the frames to the point the windows are now very difficult to close and lock properly without using a screwdriver to realign them in the frame first. I believe the high-frequency buzz is a side effect of their partial in-phase or out-of-phase interdimensional travel. Other people may have spotted the ETs too. During a Google Hangouts interview with Carrie Cassidy from Project Camelot, a short figure appeared behind Edmonds, and I've seen that, and I don't know what I don't even know what they're talking about. It looks like a shadow to me of something. I don't. You you can click on that link, Josh, and, and do you see anything? Like I, oh, they're saying like that's something that's like there's a gray or something behind his chair, but 
What? It just looks like some. It looks like some boxes or like an NES <laughs> system. I know. <laughs> like that doesn't look like anything. Yeah, I'm looking at it right now. Like it, the, the, they got that that obnoxious red circle behind like <laughs> yeah. every clickbait thumbnail on YouTube I've ever seen. Like I don't see shit. Yeah. Okay. Um, Edmonds has collected samples from the aliens. After a particularly nasty squabble, John Edmonds says he was left with a large amount of tissue and fluid samples from the greys with whom he shares the ranch. This article is so goddamn snarky, but you gotta be with this, with with something this crazy. Edmonds wrote that his samples were obtained after he nearly split a grey in two parts with an exceptionally well-sharpened samurai sword. According to the people who analyze the material, the liquid sample appears to be pure hemoglobin, and the skin looks like segment- segmented grass, except it's not grass. I love that. Where it's just it, that's the uh, scientific description. Yeah, it looks like segmented grass, except it's not grass. Portals frequently appear. Stardust Ranch is spacious. John Edmonds uses the land to run a horse rescue called Hopeful Hooves. But all that space seems attractive to extraterrestrials, too. Edmund says he often sees portals or Stargate-like openings appear on and on around the ranch. Or just on and around the ranch. But on and on, apparently, as well. Such openings are often large enough for a triangular craft, wings, and orb-like ships to pass through. These objects leave the space around the ranch, and other craft re-enter the sky around the ranch and portal by passing through it. Edmonds claims to have scars from alien attacks. John Edmonds frequently tangles with aliens, and he has the marks, he says, to prove it. He shared a photo of one particularly nasty mark on his calf, which he says came from a battle with malevolent E.T. Edmonds and his wife said they have experienced skin punctures, triangular depressions in the skin, and severe bruising, which they spelled as serve bruising, (laughs) <laughs> this, uh, this website is just uh, losing credit. Ranker. Oh, is that what this is? Shit. Yeah. Yeah, I have it zoomed in right now. Oh, Ranker. Damn, they need to uh, get their spell check people on this because... Uh, well, well, I guess serve is actually spelled correctly. You just got served. They just didn't use the right fucking word. They just got served. But uh, severe bruising and skin disfigurement, similar to what one would experience if exposed to radiation, followed by nausea, gastrointestinal okay. distress, and chronic fatigue and muscle That's weakness. That's similar to some of the people that we've seen on the show. Yeah. That were Consistent. exposed to UFOs. The aliens also apparently leave behind artifacts. A team of investigators supposedly spotted an alien on the Stardust Ranch property. It froze, then dropped a mysterious object on the ground. The small round stone features a hollowed-out center resembling the many portals John Edmonds says he's seen on the ranch. Oh, God. That thing looks like one of those century eggs. One of those... That looks like one of those... I'd find that in, like, some New Age store or some shit. Like, it would help realign my chakra or some fucking crap. This is giving me, like, bad flashbacks of those black uh, duck eggs that I had to taste test. (laughs) Those uh, century eggs that they leave in the ground. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, that that's what that but it's got like this hippity dippity little thing in the middle. This hey man. I just I love that hippity dippity. That's what it looks like. Uh that hippity dippity sun. The property has a long creepy history. Arizona's 12 News spoke to a previous inhabitant of the ranch, Gina Irons. According to her stra- according to her, strange things happened on the property when she lived there in the early 70s. 
The previous owners were eager to leave, and she and her siblings spotted a green something lurking in the hallway. Even a non-believer spotted a strange figure one, one night, and after chasing it through the house, returned shaking with the hairs on her arms standing up for uh, no reason. Or returned shaking with the hairs on his arms standing straight up. No one was there. God damn, just... What's happening to me right now, I can tell you guys, is like my fucking metabolic processes are shutting down because I'm so hungry. Yeah, yeah. Oh, hey, you and me both. Yeah, so <laughs> I've been I've been starving for like this entire podcast. So this is like a marathon, like finishing a marathon for me right now. So just yeah, that's that's what always happens to me at the end of podcasts because of it usually falls on a day where I have to work yeah. out. And so I'm I don't I don't buy that this story because it's not coming from the person that was there and supposedly saw this figure it's 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 a recollection coming from the owners <laughs> i mean kind of hard to really believe that but i want to believe that i want to believe all this this crazy shit like i, I want to believe that this isn't bullshit because Hey, you know, it's it's a shame it's so cost prohibitive, you know, like as yeah. this stuff always tends to be, you know, it's like you can never just go see for yourself. Can you just visit? Yeah. It's like you got to be able to fork over five million dollars, you know, to. So apparently the Ghost Adventures crew is convinced. Oh, well, shit. Oh, that just ended. Oh, that wow. added more credibility to the whole thing. <laughs> the Ghost Adventures crew is is convinced that it's real. So the team from Travel Channel's Ghost Adventures stopped by Stardust Ranch to see the creepy activity themselves. You're out of your jurisdiction, Ghost Adventures. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah really. Yeah, I, I, I could imagine that episode just seeing Zach Baggins in front of the camera. What we have now is a UFO in the sky. Uh, holy crap, this is freaking sweet. Hashtag Ghost Adventures. <laughs> Zach Baggins is such a bro. They seem convinced of the property's paranormal activities, and several team members saw strange figures and lights, and one woman wound up with bruises on her arm. No, oh, no. The ranch can be yours for $5 million. Stardust Ranch sits on about 10 acres of land and comes outfitted with all the amenities. Five bedrooms, four bathrooms, two horse corrals, a pool, and a guest house. If you're looking for a change of pace and stories of alien activity don't scare you, uh, $5 million. Just be careful, as John Edmonds warns. <laughs> It is not something for a traditional family, but it holds a lot of secrets and what I believe are future opportunities to understand forces that are in the universe. Please be very well grounded because the energy here has a tendency to manifest with whatever is going on around you. I legitimately would love to like spend a week there. Honestly, I would. Yeah. I would love that. Um, I, I'd uh, I'd take you up on that offer and we could you know do we could po podcast from there bit. yeah that'd be awesome <laughs> day three man live stream i woke yeah. up and et had his finger in my ass man <laughs> some weird shit's going on oh no that was just mike um anyway <clears throat> and then i love the picture they have it's 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 a double rainbow yeah they got a double rainbow yeah it's it's kooky uh, that was that was a that was like a the dessert to the podcast and now here's the after dinner mint Eddie Romero, everybody. A lot of you have no idea who he is, and as you should not have any idea who he is. He's uh, one of our Patreon donors. Um, mm -hmm. He donated um, $5 per month, and because of that, 
Unfortunately, Eddie, I'm gonna have to tell him a little something that you confided in me that you did not want me to tell anybody. Now, this is uh, a benefit, and some sick individuals like this. Um, they contribute to our Patreon, and I divulge a secret about them. I don't know why they keep telling me these secrets, because it's clear that I've done this many other times before, where I've divulged listeners' secrets on the podcast, but... Sorry, Eddie, you know, you, you know how it goes. Uh, so, basically, while in the process of an ugly divorce from his wife, uh, Eddie, who's a writer, uh, he relocated to a remote cabin in upstate New York. He wanted his solitude. Uh, attempting to recover his mental health, Eddie uh, had the misfortune of being found by somebody named John Shooter. Uh... This guy was a farmer who claimed that Eddie plagiarized some of his work. You know, Eddie has some books published. These are the kind of lofty, intelligent people who listen to our podcast, folks. So don't think that we're just some dullards who have no credibility amongst our, our listeners. Our listeners are intelligent. Anyway, this guy's played, you know, accusing Eddie of plagiarism. Uh, at first, Eddie ignored the accusations, but this shooter guy had no intention of quietly disappearing. Um, soon, this guy becomes increasingly vicious. He murdered Eddie's dog, which I couldn't believe. Um, and um, Ed Eddie lost it for a bit. Um, and probably the craziest part of what happened to Eddie was, it turned out he, he had mental illness. He was schizophrenic. Uh, this shooter guy was Eddie. It was an alternate personality. And it come to find out, Eddie was doing all this crazy shit to himself. He murdered his dog. He was um, committing all these crazy acts. And then when he would come to, he would think it was this other guy. And, uh, you know, he got the help that he needed, obviously, or maybe not. Maybe he's still messed up and he's listening to our podcast. But either way, he, you know, gave us $5, so here we are. You know, that's the lengths I'm willing to go to for people, you know, for money. No, I'm just joking. But, uh, no, this, that's that's a that's a true story, man, that, that happened to uh, Eddie Romero. Uh, or maybe it, may, it might not have happened. I'm pretty sure it did, though. Um, so, yeah, if you would like a crazy story about you, a secret of yours, revealed on the podcast, contrib uh, consider contributing to our Patreon account under the $5 a month tier. Um, well, actually, he did $10 a month, so not only does he get the story, but he gets bonus segments that are only found on the Patreon page. Uh, hope you're doing better, Eddie. Um, I think that's the end of the podcast. Am I right, Mike? Or do you have yeah. something else? No. I don't have anything else to say, except uh, thank you for uh, listening. If you want more of uh, myself and Mike, uh, we are both avid YouTubers. We believe in the power and love and life of YouTube. You can find Mike's content, uh, youtube.com slash OCP communications. He does mainly movie reviews. What was your last video that you put out, Mike? A review of Blade Runner. Oh, the new one or the old one? The old one. Okay. I'm surprised you haven't reviewed that one yet. I'm guessing you had positive things to say about it? Yes. The soundtrack by Vangelis was amazing. Yes, is it Vangelis or is it Vangelis? Like how, what I it, don't know. I think it's Vangelis. Okay, you might be right. Uh, you can find me on YouTube by searching youtube.com slash dancingwithghosts. Um, 
My recent video was still the most recent video of last week. Uh, why I hate the Nintendo 64. Uh, been working on actually uh, completing... Uh, I don't know why I didn't bring this up earlier in the podcast. I've been working on um, making an EP, which is like a mini album for those of you who don't know, because I have people just clamoring for more music from my band Dancing With Ghosts. Um, so that's where all my time and attention has been going into. Uh, I was making new music. That that EP will hopefully be coming out shortly. Um, and it's seven new songs. And they are all amazing. And way better than anything I've ever written before. Which is, as an artist, that's where you want to be. You want to write the best stuff and constantly be evolving. But uh, yeah, you can find me on YouTube, etc., etc., whatever. Um, was I, was I going to say something else? I feel like... I don't think so. Um, crime cons coming up, uh, in May in Nashville, Tennessee. Uh, if you guys have any interest of going and want to see us there, let us know because I'm kind of trying to put my feelers out and see if it's worth me pursuing that for us or not. I don't know if we have enough listeners or, you know, if we have throngs of people who are like, yes, totally, we'll be out there. Then I want to meet the fans, damn it. But uh, if one person's like, yeah, that'd be cool, then I'm not going to waste, you know, the gas of driving all the way up to Nashville, Tennessee, and Mike flying out. So anyway, um, yeah, that's all. That's it. I'm rambling at this point. I hope everybody has a good rest of their week. See you next week, and good night. See ya. What's up, everybody? Just wanted to remind you that my album Koyana Scotsi is still out for uh, purchase on CD. I got about 15 CDs left, so if you want an actual hard copy, you might want to get on that soon. Uh, I can sign it for you, whatever you want. I don't know if I'm going to do a second run on those or not. And the album digitally is available on iTunes and anywhere else where you can buy digital music. Thanks. had to work out today yeah man i got dude i've gained i've gained probably like six or seven pounds of like pure body fat in the last year oh yeah yeah well that you and me both (laughs) so and i don't like it because i'm like i was like looking at old pictures of myself last night because i was bored and i was Uh just going through the pictures on my phone and i'm like man i want to return to how i used to look because i like that but i don't chicano look no not the (laughs) chicano look (laughs) <laughs> that's a little too far back i was actually fat back then too i go through all like these uh, i go these weird yo-yo phases in my life yeah. of like uh you know i'm fat or fat ish for a year or whatever and then i lose a bunch of weight and then i gain it back and i lose it and it's just like it's fucking relentless so you're fat uh shamont yeah when you're only having seconds, I'm having twenty thirds. When I go to get my shoe shot, I gotta take the word because I'm fat. Yeah, that's, my, a, that's a good. That's a good one. I wish my parents would just hurry up and show up and give me the money that they uh, have for me or whatever. It's a. It's a. They bo- owe you money. No, it's a bond. I had a bond. I, I 
I submitted my paper, this paper I wrote in ninth grade. It was about Andrew Jackson or some shit. I just totally like, yeah. I just totally BS'd it. And the English teacher was like, does anyone want to submit the uh, their papers for this national whatever the fuck? And I was like, yeah, sure. I'll submit mine, whatever. And they ended up like, it ended up getting like third place or first place or some shit in the district. Mm-hmm. And um, I don't even remember what I fucking said, dude. It was like, it, uh, it was something about Andrew Jackson. I think I might have made up something in the report. And they, I don't know, we ended up going to this moose, yeah. moose lodge and they gave me like a, a $50 bond which is just a piece of paper that uh -huh. says, you know, this is worth $50 and then it'll become worth more later. Um, so, the, yeah, anyway, they found that bond and they want to give it to me. I thought I had it, but I guess not. Thought I had lost it. You, you know what really pisses me off? Talking about something that I lost. Sorry, we'll get to the podcast soon. I'm, I'm, getting, all my, yeah. I'm getting all my side bullshit out <laughs> of the way. Okay, so like... Uh, keyboard player for Leonard Skinner, Billy Powell. His son, Brandon Powell, I, I, I was in a band with him in, you know, in being in, mm -hmm. from Jacksonville and all. So his dad dies, unfortunately. Um, I think it was back in like 2010 or something like that. And, um, you know, legend. He's a legendary keyboard player, you know, rock, rock legend. And obviously, you know, I, like, I, I was kind of interested in going to his funeral. So I asked Brandon, I was like, hey, and there, dude, there is nothing more awkward than asking if you can go to a funeral. I'm, I'm telling you, like, it is like a very awkward situation. But I was like, hey, man, uh, can I go to your dad's funeral? <laughs> <laughs> and he's like, because he invited other guys in my band, but I guess he just didn't get around to inviting me. And he's like, yeah, yeah, sure, man. You know, so I ended up showing up to his funeral and like Kid Rock's there, but his Kid Rock's real name is Bob Ritchie. So like no, <laughs> nobody was Bob Ritchie. Yeah, nobody was calling him uh, Kid Rock. Everyone was calling him Bob. Like like the whole Hollywood thing. Like oh, what, that's hilarious. I had no idea that was his real name. That's it, pretty. That's that's funny. Yeah, like the whole Hollywood persona and all that bullshit. It was just totally off. It was totally not. He was just a normal person speaking. You know, like he. It was dude. It was this little church. In, um, I forget where it was in Jacksonville, but it was this little, like, unassuming church, and you had all these people, well, there wasn't even that many people there, honestly, but, but, you know, Bob, Kid Rock, was speaking on the pulpit or whatever, and, uh, talking about, uh, his song, that song, we made love all summer long, and we were smoking funny things, and whatever, that song yeah. they did, it, where he sampled Sweet Home Alabama, apparently, uh -huh. Apparently he didn't sample it. Apparently Billy Powell actually like flew in and laid down the piano track and apparently he did it for free or some shit. I think that's, oh. that's what he was saying. He was, he was basically just saying how good, nice of a guy Billy was and he had Hank Williams the third there. I think it was the third or the second. I didn't meet okay. him, but he was there, whatever. Anyway, they had, they had a program for Billy Powell's funeral. They were passing out programs and, and I held on to mine. And dude, I don't know what the fuck happened to it. I think someone stole it, which is crazy because like I, I watch my shit like a hawk. I cannot find that <laughs> that, that funeral program anywhere. Oh, so it's so it's a Mandela effect over here. Like no, no, I have the, the program. It's, it's I, not I, a Mandela it's... effect. I know for a fact that it was pink. <laughs> it was pink paper. 
and it looked it, it looked kind of yeah. cheap. Like the print job looked kind of cheap. It's on like it. it's like uh, that Richard Ralph segment for me. I'm like, I know that fucking segment exists. I know I saw it. <laughs> oh yeah, I I gotta do a search <laughs> on that. But yeah, like I dude, I can't find it anywhere. The only thing I can think is like I I must have showed somebody at some point, and they must have taken it. Not not that I wanted to sell it or anything, but dude, that guy's a fucking legend. Like Billy Powell from Lynn Watch, Skinner. it'll be it'll be on eBay. I think I did a search on there to see if anyone would have posted it. But, you know, I mean, I like Skinner pretty good. You know, I don't hate them or anything. I I don't mind some of their songs. This isn't the Skinner podcast, so. (laughs) Oh, yeah, I know. All right, I guess let's get into it. Let me see. We're, uh, damn, that's 10 minutes in already of just flapping my fucking gums. Yeah. (laughs) So you, no, I'll I'll wait to to ask that until we get on the podcast. Till we on the podcast. Wait till we on there, man. Yo, we on it. We them boys. We making we noise. We them boys. All right, here we go. Deep healing breath. Deep healing breath. Uh. <laughs> In uh, September 1984, Cox told Richmond that uh, he had his uh, family. Wait, what's that sentence? <laughs> he and his family. Okay, were Jesus Christ. That's going to be an edit. 10922. <laughs> yeah, it's a lot of edits. In yeah, this well, it's fucking typical of my fucking life. Can never be easy. All right. In September 1984, Cox told Richmond that he had his. Fa- Dude, that sentence is written fucked up. Like I said. <laughs> it's he and his family. The goddamn. He and his family. Uh, Another edit. Shit. <laughs> That wasn't a little Sorry, bit. Sorry, Mike. <laughs> Sorry. I apologize. That took forever. It's it's okay. Did you hear it? All right. Did you hear any of that? A little bit. All right, John. John? <laughs> I don't get it. Remember she said you I thought I heard your mom call you a different name. Like you're like my name's Josh. Oh, she said she always confuses me with my brother. She goes Day Josh cuz my brother's name is David, so she'll go to say yeah, David. Yeah, Dave. Yeah, Dave. Day Josh. She God, she's done that my whole life. But yeah, any hoozles? I don't even remember what the fuck we were talking about. Uh, this guy looking Cox. Oh yeah, we were talking about Cox. When a man sells a five million dollar ranch after a slew of alien attacks, you know that his alien encounters have taken a toll. John Edmonds seemed capable of handling the occasional identified craft by zipping by. The occasional UFO was zipping by overhead, but the aliens tried to kidnap his wife from under her bed. Edmonds had had enough, but is he telling the truth? Um, yeah, you want to do a go ahead and do a take two on that last read there, one eighteen oh one. Okay. Yeah, because the other one you cleanly redid, but that one was kind of stumbly. What the when a man sells five yeah, million? Yeah, yeah, just do that one again. Okay, hold on. When a man sells a blah, blah, blah. a lot of reading. When a man sells $5 million ranch, well, th- this is why. It's fucking how it's written. They don't put an A. Yeah. Fuck's sake. <laughs> it's not always us, guys. <laughs> so when a man sells a $5 million ranch after a slew of alien attacks, you know that his alien encounters have taken a toll. John Edmonds seems capable of handling the occasional unidentified craft zipping by overhead, but... When the aliens tried to kidnap his wife from her under her bed, Edmonds had had enough. Fucked up. It's bed. 
This guy, Jacob Shelton, needs to go fucking the grammar class or some shit. Fuck. He sake. needs to stop fail English. Posting his like Instagram pictures and <laughs> being all millennialish and. Here, here's another take. 